Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Friday the 30th of April. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Jan Fran. Jan, how was your birthday yesterday? Oh, <laughs> it was pretty uneventful, to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah. highlights? Yeah, look, I don't know if I'd call it a highlight. It's probably more of a low light because my car wouldn't start the morning of my birthday. So the thing that I did yesterday was take it to the mechanic. And that, people, is how you celebrate 36. That's sad. (laughs) No, it was good. I spent it with my husband. We had a nice dinner. And then, of course, I got an early night so I can be primed and prepped and be here with all the news of the day. Sounding fresher than ever. Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, today marks 100 days in office for President Joe Biden. Now, after just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America is on the move again. So that's Biden spruiking himself. But what score would you give him out of 10 so far? He has been disappointing to progressives in some areas, been surprising to progressives in some areas, and he's been a real mixed bag in other areas. That's our resident US politics expert, David Smith. We're going to find out what Biden's actually done, and we're also going to get David's rating on Biden in today's briefing. But first, today's headlines. Perth residents will have to keep wearing masks for another week as Western Australia slowly winds back its lockdown restrictions. Masks are a common feature in most places around the world. In fact, even over east. We just need to get through this week to be 100% sure the virus is not lingering in our community. That was the WA Premier Mark McGowan um, speaking there last night. Now, the Perth and Peel regions of WA were sent into a three-day lockdown last weekend after a man who caught COVID in hotel quarantine spread the virus uh, to others in the community. So as you heard there, people will still have to wear masks, but only on public transport and indoors. And major venues like stadiums, for example, will be able to operate at 75% capacity. And he used my favourite phrase that's used by Perth people, over east. Over east. (laughs) I love that. Um, I I guess it is a small price to pay to keep the community safe when you consider what people in other parts of the world are doing, but there's not that many masks getting worn around on the east coast anymore. No, that's right. Well, I mean, the coronavirus has a terrible knack of just appearing at the worst times, doesn't it? Because in WA, it sort of reared its ugly head just before the Anzac Day weekend. Prior to that, in Queensland, I think it was just before Easter. Yep, ruined Blues Fest. It ruins, <laughs> that's the Christmas big one. Christmas in, in Sydney that's with the right. Avalon Cluster. And I think it was just before Valentine's Day and the <laughs> Chinese New Year in Victoria. Honestly, it's got this sort of terrible knack of appearing at the worst times. So I guess to offset that, there'll be $2,000 in grants made available to WA businesses that were hurt by the very quick snap closure just before Anzac Day as well. Yeah, I've seen a few people saying, well, that's not enough because the WA government has been making so much money based on the booming iron ore price, but I guess it's better than nothing. And today, former Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins will meet with Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Opposition Leader Anthony Albanese. They're expected to discuss a number of issues, including changes to workplace culture in Parliament House, such as more protections for staffers who work for MPs. Yeah, the meetings will take place in Sydney. Um, This is despite reports that Ms Higgins actually wanted to meet with the two leaders in Parliament House in Canberra. Now, Brittany Higgins was the staffer who went public with allegations, this was back in February, that she was raped on the Defence Minister's couch in Parliament House. Um, And those allegations, among others, sparked massive protests about the treatment of women all over the country. She was actually one of the speakers at um, at the Canberra Women's March as well. Yeah, she's had a massive impact. It's interesting that it's taken over two months for this meeting to come about. And 
even um, Tracy Grimshaw had to give the Prime Minister a nudge about contacting Brittany Higgins. So um, finally it's happened. She hasn't been backwards in coming forwards when it's come to criticising the government as well along the way. So it'd be interesting to see what she says after this meeting. I'll be I'll be really interested to, to see, you know, how she rates Scott Morrison in, in the way that he handles this. And the head of Australia's domestic spy agency says that he expects Australia will witness a terror attack within the next year and is also warned of the growing threat posed by right-wing terror groups. Given the growth that we've seen in nationalist and racist violent extremism, we anticipate there will be a terrorist attack in this country in the next 12 months. Yeah, it was a pretty grim prediction. That's the head of ASIO, Mike Burgess. Uh, He spoke at a parliamentary inquiry yesterday. He said that Sunni Islamic terror groups were still posing the biggest security threat but he also said right-wing groups are now taking up 40% of their workload, whereas five years ago it was only 10 to 15%. Yeah, so Australia's national terrorism threat level remains probable and it has been at that level since 2014. And the US President Joe Biden has declared that America is rising anew in a speech on the eve of his 100th day in office. After 100 days of rescue and renewal... America's ready for a takeoff, in my view. Yeah, that was his speech to Congress, marking 100 days in office. Uh, He praised America's progress in the rollout of the COVID vaccine, which has been quite amazing given the state of disarray they were in last year. Yeah, 93 million Americans have been vaccinated, which is around a quarter of the country. So they're doing pretty good, much better than what we are, I would say. We hit 2 million this week. Okay, that's a milestone. I'll accept that. (laughs) Um, He also called on uh, US Congress to pass his Americans' Families Plan, which is a $1.8 trillion US dollar proposal. This includes subsidised childcare, free preschool, um, free community college. He's going very big on the spending here because he's got two other massive plans. One was his, uh, his big COVID support bill, which has already passed, and the other is a massive infrastructure plan as well for the country. Yeah, he's really splashing the cash. Um, He also invoked the death of George Floyd in calling on Congress to pass a police reform bill. We've all seen the knee of injustice on the neck of black Americans. Now's our opportunity to make some real progress. The George Floyd Justice in Policing Act would make significant changes to policing across America and outlaw several police tactics. All right, let's get deeper into Biden's first 100 days in office with David Smith. Professor David Smith, um, well, the long way of saying his title is that he's an Associate Professor in American Politics and Foreign Policy at the United States Study Centre at Sydney Uni. The short way is US politics nut. (laughs) Yeah, I like the short way better. Um, David, thanks so much for joining us. We've heard all of the rhetoric from Joe Biden's big speech in Congress. What has he actually done, though, during his first 100 days in office? So the biggest thing that he has done is the $1.9 trillion stimulus package in response to COVID and to the economic crisis that comes with COVID. Now, this was something he really needed to do. This is by far the biggest challenge that his administration faces early on. There have been some important symbolic things. So rejoining the United States to the Paris Climate Accords and announcing that the U.S., would try to reduce emissions by 50% by 2030. Then we've had things like Biden recognising 
Armenian genocide, which is something mm. that a lot of previous U.S. presidents had wanted to do but hadn't done because they were worried about the repercussions of the relationship with Turkey. So he's done some important things on the symbolic level as well. He's got two other massive spending packages, one related to infrastructure and one essentially related to family welfare. Between them, they will add up to about $4 trillion. He's not going to be able to get those through Congress without Republican support. And this is going to be a massive, massive challenge for him. Has Joe Biden surprised you in any way during his 100 days in office? I think that his willingness very early on to ditch the bipartisan rhetoric and to pursue Democratic Party policy goals actually was surprising. And I think it surprised a lot of Democrats. And this is why he's got quite a lot of praise from the left of the Democratic Party, from people like Bernie Sanders and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who've said that he's a lot more progressive than they expected him to be. In some other respects, he has really disappointed progressives. One of those is the US refugee intake, which under the Trump administration, that fell to 15,000, which was its lowest level in decades. And Biden had pledged repeatedly in his campaign that he would raise that refugee intake. But his administration has had several abrupt halts on this issue. Now the administration seems to be saying that they'll raise it to 62,500, but uh, it's not really clear. So he's really disappointed progressives in that way. I think he's had a really mixed bag on foreign policy. I think he's made some tough and necessary decisions. The first was ending US support for the Saudi and Emirati war in Yemen. I think that that was very important because that's a a humanitarian crisis that the US was really playing quite a role in. Um, The second was withdrawing troops from Afghanistan. Trump had already made the decision that US troops would withdraw from Afghanistan this year. Biden moved that withdrawal from May 1st to the very symbolically significant date of 9-11. But in other ways, there's real continuity as well between Biden and Trump on foreign policy. One of the things is that he has left in place the tariffs on China. I think that Biden sees these tariffs on China as useful bargaining leverage. So he's not immediately prepared to de-escalate things with China. He has uh, been disappointing to progressives in some areas, been surprising to progressives in some areas, and it's been a real mixed bag in other areas. Well, you mentioned Trump policies there. One of the things that Biden's done has been to reverse a number of policies put forward by Donald Trump. Can you talk us through some of those? He revoked what's known as the Mexico City policy, which bans the use of any US foreign aid uh, for the promotion of abortion worldwide. So it's almost like a ritual that whenever any Republican president comes to power, they put this policy in place. Whenever a Democratic president comes to power, they revoke it. Another pretty significant thing that Democratic presidents do and that Biden has done is to bring almost a halt to new mining and exploration on public land in the United States. So mining and drilling and mineral explanation, these things really boomed 
during the Trump presidency, partly because he opened up a lot of public land, which Barack Obama had previously closed to those activities. He wants to raise the corporate tax rate to 28%, up from 21%. Now, the Trump administration had reduced it from 35% to 21%. Biden, in order to pay for these spending increases that he's proposing, wants to raise it up to 28%, so not all of the way. So, David, you mentioned you were a little bit surprised that he abandoned the idea of bipartisanship so quickly. We'll just play a moment from his inauguration speech where he sort of made that big beautiful sounding bipartisan promise. I will be a president for all Americans. And I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did. So that was, you know, a moment that felt kind of soothing at the time. But you're saying he's departed from that. You also said earlier that, you know, he's impressed AOC with some of his moves. And I imagine when you're impressing um, someone on as far left as AOC, you're pissing off millions of other people on the other end of the political spectrum. You also talked about stopping a lot of um, mining and exploration and a, a bold promise on climate change. Are there loads of Americans in industrial areas that are fuming at some of his policies? Yeah, so at the moment, Biden has a positive approval rating, which is unusual uh, when you look back at the last 10 or 12 years of the US presidency. Um, I mean, it's a barely positive approval rating. We're talking about the low to mid-50s. But if you look at Republicans, they are as opposed to Biden as Democrats were to Trump at this time in Trump's presidency. And Democrats are as happy with Biden as Republicans were with Trump <laughs> at this point in, in Trump's presidency. So the difference between the two at the moment is that Biden has a much higher approval rating with independents. So Biden's net approval rating with independents is plus four. With Trump's, it was negative 15. So that's the difference at the moment. Sorry, uh, when you say independents, what, what do you mean by that? So these are people who don't identify as either Republicans right. or Democrats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So certainly, yes, Republicans are very pissed off with Biden at the moment. Really, the, the moment where bipartisanship fell apart was in just that first fight over the stimulus package that Biden proposed. So he proposed this $1.9 trillion package. Republicans who came back with an offer came back with a $600 billion package. So less than a third of the size of what Biden was proposing. And at that point, Biden basically faced a choice between, do I go with bipartisanship or do I go with pursuing my policy aims? And he went with pursuing his policy aims. How would you rate Biden's first 100 days in office? If you had to give him a score out of 10, what would it be? I would give him somewhere between a seven and an eight, I think. Well, that's not it's bad. A, it's a pretty solid performance, yeah. What yeah, makes I'm you say gonna, that? I'm not going to go overboard. Well, I think it's because the first things that he had to deal with were the pandemic and the economic devastation caused by the pandemic. And I think that he was right, that that actually did have to take priority over bipartisanship. So he did that. He did it very quickly he did it very effectively. We haven't seen how he's going to cope with the real struggles that are going to come with his presidency. 
So well, the real test starts now, you're saying? The real test starts now and is it's going to continue for the next three years. There's a very good chance that Democrats are going to lose their majority in the House of Representatives and possibly the Senate as well in the 2022 midterm elections. Right. Historically, the opposition party nearly always makes gains in midterm elections. Mm. Democratic majorities in both places are about as thin as they can be. There's going to be redistricting um, in the next year, which is going to at least slightly favour Republicans. So that will make things even harder if Democrats lose one or both of their majorities. What Democrats will be hoping is that the economic recovery is so big that public opinion will stay behind Joe Biden and that Democrats will be able to pull off surprise wins. David, what's Donald Trump been up to? Donald Trump has obviously been a lot quieter because of the fact that he's now banned from Twitter. He hasn't adopted any other social media platform to make statements as frequently as he used to make on Twitter, although he does speak up from time to time. When he speaks up, it's nearly always about his belief that the election was stolen. He talks a lot about wanting to punish Republicans who he felt capitulated when they allowed Joe Biden to win the election, when they certified election results and didn't vote to overturn election results. He wants to go after Republicans who he thinks didn't fight hard enough for him. This is his sole cause at the moment. And that may seem a bit odd, but he is raising tremendous amounts of money off this. He's raised hundreds of millions of dollars off this since the end of the last election. And other Republicans are raising money off it as well. He's continuing to be a very significant figure in the Republican Party. A lot of people are urging Trump to go out there and tell Republicans to take the vaccine because Trump has touted the development of the vaccine as one of the achievements of his administration. You know, Trump, if he wanted to, could actually, he's got more influence than anybody else in Republican circles. He could probably dramatically increase vaccine uptake in the United States. If Trump went out and said, I developed this vaccine, this vaccine's great, I took it, you should take it as well, that could significantly increase uptake. And it could probably strengthen his future political prospects more than just continually going on about claiming that he won the election. But this is something that he's got no willingness to do at the moment. That was David Smith from the University of Sydney. Interesting, David talked about how Biden very quickly abandoned some of the notions of bipartisanship, as in appealing to the other side. I wonder if he's frustrated enough Americans that it will cost him at the midterms, meaning they'll lose their wafer-thin majority in the Senate and the House of Reps, and the second half of his presidency becomes very, very hard. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a that's a wait-and-see scenario. The other interesting bit, not to make this about Donald Trump, but Donald Trump hiding away somewhere, not on Twitter, raising a lot of money, just, I guess, raise some questions about whether or not he's planning something in the next few years that maybe we just don't really know too much about or haven't thought too much about because he's not as visible. I think he's going to run for president again. Oh, okay, that's a big call. Look out, people. You heard it here first on The Briefing 2024. I think we know what he's up to.
All right, we'll catch you next week, Jan. Uh, it is time for the weekend briefing tomorrow. That'll be up in your feeds nice and early for your weekend with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who have you got on this week? Tomorrow, you're going to be treated to an interview with Andy Lee, which was not what I thought it was going to be, but in the best kind of way. Andy and I talked about his partnership with Hamish, obviously. We talked about podcasting and making things and success and feeling success young. But we mostly talked about family. We talked about the kind of uncle he is. I tried to get some goss on when he might propose. And um, we talked about his mum, who has suffered from a rare illness for most of his life since he was a teenager. And we talked about how that changed Andy when he was a kid, how it changed the whole family. I was really moved by our chat and I reckon everyone else will be too. All right. Thanks, Jamila. Good to um, hear Andy Lee getting deep and meaningful, the, you know, usually funny guy. So that'll be great. That's the weekend briefing. Hope you have an amazing weekend and I'll speak to you Monday. Listener.